Hey, this is HK Perrin, and you're listening to Echoplex Media. Check out the Intellectual Dollar Tree live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. At some point, we are going to have to do a whole show about how good this show sounds. Just a bunch of people. 
everybody. Welcome to Down Ballot. We do this show every Friday or most Fridays at uh, 7.30 p.m. Pacific right here on Twitch. You can uh, follow us on Twitch if you're listening to the podcast. That's twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. And if you would like to support this project, there are many ways to do so. Just uh, go to echoplexmedia.com and click the support tab. Pick your favorite. My favorite is the merch. How you doing, Councilman? Moich! I love me some moich. I'm doing fabulous. How are you tonight, Producer Dave? Good. I'm doing good. Excellent. You're looking great in the new studio. I think this is the first down ballot with a studio, what is this, (laughs) 5.0? I think something like that. I don't know how many. Depends on how we define the incarnations of the studio. Like moving from one room to the other in the old apartment and then back to the same room. um, I don't don't think that counts. Or moving maybe from one end of that room to another end of that room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, depending on sexual lighting going on here, this is pretty great. (laughs) <laughs> i was gonna say it's very uh it's very inclusive very uh very uh almost trans flaggy but um you know sort of uh get, getting there but you, are you are you gonna have the step and repeat the backdrop up uh soon enough i'm guessing um we're gonna use them for something else oh very nice i'm excited yeah because okay. i have lights pointed behind me and that gets rid of shadows but if i point lights at like a vinyl backdrop it'll just glare that would not work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, not so well. well, we'll probably put them. We'll probably, I'll probably put it up behind where I DJ or something. I don't know. Well, maybe I'll. There you go. There maybe you I'll go. auction it off in the merch store. Anyway, tell Moich. tell tell everybody a little about yourself. Uh, well, I'm the councilman, and you can find me uh, on X at <laughs> the underscore councilman. Um, it's still there. I checked just today. Um, so if you want to like tweet at me, I might check it this week and get back to you. Like tomorrow um i'll <laughs> gladly pay you tuesday for a hamburger today um but yeah I'm, I'm absolutely ready to to devour all the hamburgers in fact if you want to just send me a hamburger if you can figure out a way to do that like dm get into my dms and send me some doordash bucks um i'd be happy to take your burgers thank you hell yeah we'll, we'll podcast for burgers anyway um but yeah that i'm sort of in the same situation as some san jose city workers who are just not making enough money to even afford a nice burger from from time to time well, speaking of which, let's hit up uh, leading off. It seems like the San Jose city workers are uh, voting on whether or not to strike. Yes, and then we're going to find out more from our good friends at ABC7. ABC7 News reporter Amanda Del Castillo joins us live with the details on the workers' demands and the potential impacts to the city services there. Amanda, the clock now ticking. Oh yeah, Julian. And here we are just outside of San Jose City Hall. This is just one of several locations across the city where workers can come and vote on that mass strike. Union members have until Friday to do so. Ready to strike for our services. Between two unions, 4,500 City of San Jose employees are marking day one of a monumental strike vote. If authorized, the looming three-day strike would be the largest San Jose has seen in 40 years. We're losing valuable uh, employees, employees that really bring years, if not decades, of institutional knowledge to the city, to other municipalities, because they can go and they can find better wages, better benefits, a better work-life balance, and a lower workload. Nick Rivetto has spent eight years with the city, first as a community service officer with SJPD, now an inspector with the city's planning, building, and code enforcement division. He says earlier this summer, the city struggled with more than 1,000 vacancies across the board. There are about 800 approximate uh, vacancies currently in the city, and that, again, is citywide throughout various departments. A big part of the push from those working at 
the airport, within the housing department, city libraries and elsewhere are livable wages. The city is offering a 5% raise next year, then a 4% and 3% raise in the years following. But Rovetto and others say that's simply not enough to survive in San Jose. I know City of San Jose employees that are homeless. I know City of San Jose employees that are living in their cars. I know others that choose to commute to San Jose, live in their car overnight for a couple of days because they can't afford to commute back and forth. We spoke with Mayor Matt Mahan ahead of the strike vote. He says City Council is expected to have a closed session later today to discuss any movement possible. I do not want the city to be in a position where we overextend ourselves and then have to do layoffs and cut services later. It's not fair to workers, not fair to residents. And Rivetto says San Jose residents would be sure to feel the impact if 4,500 city workers decided to strike. Voting started earlier this morning and will last through Friday the 4th. Union representatives say they will announce the results on Monday morning right here at San Jose City Hall. For now, reporting live in San Jose, Amanda Del Castillo, ABC 7 News. Amanda, thank you. So, I, I'm, it sounds like they're, I mean, from, from what I'm hearing, what little I heard, it sounds like they're probably going to vote to strike, but I don't know. More than likely. Uh, I forget if they need a majority or like a super majority to authorize the strike, but that's pretty much what they're voting for right now. I mean, technically, they're still at the bargaining table. They're still negotiating with the city. Some of the unions are working, quote unquote, without a contract, um, basically meaning that their contract that they had on June 30th has been extended more than likely um, until, you know, negotiations are complete on the new contract. Um, and then they would probably get retroactive pay and benefits or whatever, you know, uh, is in that contract, right, going back to July 1st. Um, so depending on your union, you could be working without a contract right now, or you could be working uh, on a continued contract, you could be working on a contract that's about to expire. Um, so they're negotiating, and we'll see if they actually end up do, end, do end up walking. If they do, it's not going to, I think they're authorizing, it's not like a, you know, just open-ended thing. It's something like a three or four day strike because some of these folks are essential workers, right? And, 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 uh, quote unquote, first responders, uh, you know, in the fire department, police department, people like that. So, uh, there is, a, uh, actually, um, a concern about, you know, folks like that striking, going on strike for long, for a prolonged period of time. They're authorizing like a three or a four or a five day strike. I can't remember five days, I think. Gotcha. Anyway. Gotcha. So it's, <clears throat> it's not an indefinite strike, but I mean, if, if 4,500 people stop working for the city, even for a day, people going to notice. Mm -hmm. No, one, yeah, half a day, a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah, because think about it, you know, when do you need city government or when do you need government at all? When are you going to call, you know, the city uh, about anything, right? It's probably one of the worst days of your life, more than likely, unless you're one of those people that just, you know, has to call or has a concern about everything, right? Um, more than likely it's one of the worst days of your life or it's one of the worst things that's happened to you or it's just one of the most frustrating things you're, you've ever dealt with, right? And that's the only reason you're contacting the city, right? In the first place, you wouldn't, that wouldn't be your first choice of, <laughs> of how to spend a day, right? Um, nor would it be necessarily the, the council office's first choice on how to spend their day, but that's what they're there for and they live to serve, right? So they're there to help. Um, but uh, I think that we lose sight of that a lot of times, right? Um, that oftentimes we just come to government when we need it the most. Um, so uh, if 4,500 city workers were suddenly not there, there'd be a lot of people having their worst day without any recompense or any way to you know resolve it right away. And that would be really even more frustrating. It could lead to 
bigger problems. So, um, yeah, but they're absolutely within their rights because they're all overworked and they're underpaid. And right now there are a lot of vacancies that just aren't filled because, um, not because they're not funded or budgeted for, just because the city does a poor job of recruitment and retention and making San Jose a so, place that people uh, want to work. You know? So if part of the part of the problem and part of the reason that they're overworked and going on strike is that there are vacancies and people have to work longer hours or whatever, you would think that that money that was allocated for those other positions could like at least temporarily be allocated to give the people who are working now a raise. So that, and then fill the, as you fill those positions, you, you like, then you start to negotiate again. You're like, Hey, we gave you this raise because you're working so much harder, but now we have yeah. half of these positions filled. Let's see what we, let's see what we can figure out now. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's budgeting really, right? That's creative budgeting. That's collaboration. That's compromise. Um, you know, the, the point that the, that mayor ed 209 makes about, you know, not wanting to write any checks we can't cash later. Right. Um, meaning that, you know, you don't want to start, you don't want to give, you don't want to start giving out bonuses or not bonuses, but, um, raises. Right. And then suddenly you hit a budget deficit and you can't afford the raises anymore and you've got to figure out how to turn the fat. Right. Um, so that, that's a valid concern. That so what if they, you're, you're, you mentioned, you're, you're, you're you mentioned right. bonuses. What if the yeah. temporary raise was in the form of a bonus? Like you basically divvy up all the money that would have gone to the, the, the people whose positions aren't filled, divvy I, it all up to the people who are working now. Yeah. I mean, I, it's not that the, the workers wouldn't like under normal circumstances take that, right? Like that's, you know, it's not nothing. But what they're looking for is more sustainable, you know, long-term, like that's just a, it's a one-time thing in that case. Right. And there's no guarantee that they get that again next year. So more likely they would put it away or try to save some of it, um, as opposed to spending it, which like, that's the, the thing. Other thing is that, you know, lifting up the workforce and giving them more buying power improves the economy because they're, people are going to spend the money that they make. They're not going to, you know, if people make a couple like hundred extra bucks every month, it's not as though they're putting that away. I mean, it'd be great if they were, but they're probably not. You know, they're spending it on bills and on groceries and on, you know, the economy. Um, right, or even so, if they're spending half of it. Right. So raising wages, actually, uh, from a corporate perspective, you know, if you can afford it, it benefits everyone and you, more than likely, in some way, in some ancillary way, whatever you're making or whatever you're doing as a corporation, more than likely, it's going to benefit you in some way to, to raise the wages of your own employees. And this is especially true when it comes to the city, um, because the people forget government is one of the largest employers in any region, right? Any county, any any city, um, any municipality, any state. Government's going to be one of the top employers. You go to Sacramento, like that's the industry there in Sacramento. Like it's <laughs> building after building after building after building of public employees, right? Um, so uh, remember that too. Like this is a huge chunk of our workforce that would just be shutting down and not and not doing a whole lot so um in general well we'll see what happens the vote happened tonight and what yeah. i like that they're doing by the way is that they're not having like a televised thing where they're counting from different precincts and <laughs> right they're just going to tell us all on monday which is which is uh i think maybe the way we should do all, all of our elections now you know <laughs> yeah it's it's a, it's uh now that they have a union it's much easier when once you already have a union to take votes and to do this kind of thing so they probably have an online component they probably have an in-person component and they're trying to get as many employees to vote as possible these things tend to get pretty good turnout when it comes to um like percentages of empl employees or union members voting like you generally see you know in the 75 80 90 sometimes percent 
uh, of uh, voting, you know, uh, whether or not they vote for it or not, you know, but, um, and usually it's, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to impasses, workers tend to trust their union leadership because they're the ones in the room, right? And they're the ones that, that should know best. Not always the case, but they do. Uh, they do rely on them. So a lot of so if the if the union reps and the people in the room are recommending something that the then yeah the workers will do it. So I think that they'll authorize the strike. Whether or not they get to a strike, we'll see. So we'll we'll follow it on down ballot, of course. So um, the police union isn't among the the people threatening to strike, right? I don't know. They did have a. I actually don't know that off the top of my head because they tend to have a whole separate negotiation process, right? Um, and and for good reason. Um, but they did have. They did show a booth outside of the police headquarters. That could be for non-sworn officers, right? I, I don't or non-sworn right. there are, employees. Yeah, there are t- tons of non-police who work yeah. for the, and they maybe are a part of a different union. In fact, I'm, yeah, I'm they sure they are. Probably are. Yeah, they probably are. Ask me or one of the other, you know, uh, uh, city unions. There's eleven bar. There are eleven bargaining units. Imagine uh, being a council member. Not only are you dealing with a hundred thousand people in your district, right? Um, and even if you want to talk about voters still like 40 or 50,000 voters in your district and 11 bargaining units, uh, including police and fire. Right. So, um, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of balls to juggle. I don't envy them. Um, well, but speaking of balls and juggling, that's what winners and losers are all about. Yep. This is winners and losers where there are no winners. And if somebody does win it, it just wasn't who you were fucking rooting for, except for the a rare occasion, maybe once or twice a year, we get an actual winner in there. Yeah, I, 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 you know, accidentally slip one in, like maybe because I don't watch the clip thoroughly. <laughs> You're like, actually, this is good. <laughs> right, this is actually a good thing. Shit. Oh well, I, I, I was sucked in by the clickbait headline. So there. Uh, anyway, there's more, more talk about the tenderloin in San Francisco, and I think maybe we'll just let uh, the local local news hit uh, tell us about that. Do it. The Tenderloin community discussed safety issues with some city leaders at a town hall meeting this evening. The San Francisco police chief, district attorney, and sheriff were all in attendance. KTVU's Alyssa Harrington joins us live from SFPD after attending that meeting. Alyssa. Well, this meeting was in response to a daylight shooting that happened in the Tenderloin last month. Community members say that crime and drug use is the worst that it has ever been in the area, and they are demanding more action from law enforcement. Well, they're wrong. want children to be able to walk, bike, play, thrive, and grow in a safe environment. Concerned community members called out city leaders at a town hall safety meeting in San Francisco's Tenderloin Thursday. The St. Anthony Foundation hosted the event and invited the police chief, the sheriff, and district attorney to take questions from the public and explain efforts to crack down on a variety of issues plaguing the area, including the fentanyl crisis and organized crime. You have got to get a handle on this problem, not only of drug abuse, but homelessness. You go to Walgreens. Call your friend Robin Hood, dude. It'll be fine. Well, the situation has deteriorated. <laughs> Mills Benke, CEO of the St. Anthony Foundation, said conditions in the Tenderloin are the worst they have ever been. He said they have seen a rise in violence, open drug use, and just last month there was a daytime shooting half a block away. The nonprofit provides services like addiction recovery, meals, and warm showers. 
that is a danger to the community, to everybody. Um, we had some people on our staff assaulted. Uh, volunteers don't want to come here anymore. Probably most said is that some of our guests are too afraid to come and see us here. We certainly are more interested in the people who are selling and who are peddling death on our streets. Um, that is killing, you know, our most vulnerable populations. District Attorney Brooke Jenkins said her office has filed more than 100 motions for egregious crimes and repeat offenders, but said sometimes those efforts are impeded by the courts. We're going in filing these motions arguing about the deadliness of fentanyl and about the dangerousness of this conduct, and yet and still the judges are ignoring it. Recently, the city launched a collaborative effort led by SFPD and other agencies to disrupt and dismantle drug markets. The CHP and National Guard have also been called to the Tenderloin to crack down on fentanyl dealing. We're arresting people who are using in public. Um, we were barely, barely did that at all last year, and you know we've made hundreds of arrests. And really, this collaborative effort is only two months in the making. Some residents argued arresting people will not solve the larger issue of addiction. Drug war mentality doesn't work. It's short term. Nothing you're, you're proposing is sustainable in any way. The police and sheriff's office admit they are understaffed, and they say that results from this collaborative effort will take time. Live in San Francisco, I'm Alyssa Harrington, KTVU, Fox 2 News. Alyssa, so somebody in chat made a good point. They wonder what percentage of those people are like basically landlords. <laughs> the people that show like property developers and like landlords. Some people that show up at those meetings. Yeah. Oh, in general, they are. Yeah, in general, it's it's small, uh, like uh, you know, four and sixplex landlords. It's small business owners, people who own like the you know the coffee shop down the street or the dog grooming place or the you know laundry or the video. Well, it used to be the video rental place. I don't know what people. <laughs> where do people see their stuff? Um, but yeah, it's, it's people like that. And then, you know, just like I've, I spoke about earlier, right? The people who, uh, uh they call, we call them cave people, uh, citizens of, uh, against virtually everything. Uh, it's pretty much who you get at these kind of things. But like that one lady was like, you know, you can't just arrest your way out of this. And like, I just wonder if she was like the only one who said that. Cause I feel like <clears throat> more than likely, I mean, you didn't hear like raucous applause, right? Like I, you kind of heard like tepid, like. I agree. I agree. But like, no one wanted to like step up and be like, "Yeah, <laughs> go, go, exactly." You guys, drug, you know, war on drugs suck. You know, um, no one wants to be that. That I mean, she she was fine being the flag bearer, but no one wants to step up behind her. Um, that's that's telling about the audience. So I'm guessing she was probably one of the only people that said something along those lines. Um, and Brooke Jenkins ain't wanting to hear that, right? That's kind of not really her bag, right? She's like, arrests. We've made arrests. We couldn't make arrests before, and now we're making arrests because, you know, Chesa Bodine didn't want to arrest people, and now we're arresting people. And look at what we're—I mean, that's my question. Like, what's okay? I great. Granted, it's only been two months or whatever, but what's happening? Like, how's it going? Right? Like, is it? Do do you see improvement with all your arrests? Are people not using fentanyl because you're arresting everybody? No, that's not true. Right? Right. It's just common sense. <clears throat> I mean. Yeah, I, I would imagine that if, if anything, it's likely getting worse just because that's like the police state, like <clears throat> it doesn't help. Like it's just, no, it's no. just not going to help. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not addressing the problem, right? Like why, why is, you know, I, I'll tell you this much. Like I was, I don't think I was ever truly lost in addiction, but I did some really stupid shit to get high. 
in that time we all call college, right? Right. I did some really stupid shit, and I and I did some really stupid shit that I really regret doing, right? Because it didn't mess me up permanently, but it could have, and I shouldn't have, right? But that's sort of where you're at, right? Like it's, it's just you're that lost that you're doing shit that could kill you, right? But you're not doing it. You're not thinking about it killing you. You're thinking about it making you feel good, and that's the fundamental problem that we're not really addressing by just throwing someone in jail, right? Or or better or worse, even like saying, "Oh, you can't control yourself, so we're gonna arrest you." Sort of, we're going to put you into treatment, like involuntary treatment, right? Which is going to, I'm sure that's going to fucking work, right? <laughs> um, but that, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it, we're, we're not really addressing the underlying problem by just arresting people. You're getting them off the streets temporarily so that people, you know, property owners and landlords and the small business owners and the cave people can all be like, oh, thank you. My street's clean for a couple hours, right? Um, and they can feel better about themselves and, and not feel so icky. Well, then, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever problems uh, led someone to where they are, the even just a few days of incarceration are very likely to exacerbate those problems. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. I can tell you this much, right? It's not going to help. Right. It, it may not harm. I think it does, but it may not, it may not harm, but it's absolutely not going to help anything. Right. Um, that should be easy enough to agree on, but not. No. And on to the next one. What's our next one? Well, um, you know, meanwhile, over in Vallejo, uh, they're declaring a state of emergency because they ain't got enough cops, apparently, um, to do, you know, crimes and shootings and bad texts. We have an update now to Vallejo's severe police officer shortage. The city council tonight unanimously approved an emergency order that supporters say would help the city deal with the problem. KTVU's Amber Lee has the message now from the interim police chief at tonight's meeting. Vallejo's interim police chief Jason Todd tells me there are 51 vacancies for sworn officers in a department that has 132 funded sworn officer positions. But currently, he says there are only 34 officers available for patrol. The traffic unit has been disbanded. Todd says the emergency declaration will give the city flexibility in responding to the staffing shortage. He tells me one option is to hire retired police officers for temporary part-time work. We have not entered into any formal discussions with <clears throat> with any other law enforcement agencies. So I just want to make that clear. We have not talked to any other law enforcement. Yeah, agencies. none of the other law enforcement agencies. They don't want. They don't even want their, your stink on them, dude. Oh hell no! Yeah. About our needs. Well, check this I guy's phone. What was he texting about? Feel that that conversation needs to occur soon, and we need to have some some very clear ask you know what we need and also very clear um, understanding on from from leadership on what we're prepared to um, to do in order to get those needs satisfied my one and only son was murdered recently by the police probably here in Vallejo in broad daylight the police have not been able to focus on the investigation due to staffing issues. One resident says her grandson served in the Vallejo Police Department for seven months after graduating from the academy, but left to work for another law enforcement agency. He was indeed questioning his own safety on a day-to-day -day basis. Lots of overtime, overtime, as much as you could do. But there was another issue that concerned me. How much overtime can officers do before they get too fatigued to meet the needs and respond 
uh, to the calls and to the emergencies within the city. The interim police chief says the department has already taken steps to address the staffing shortage, including adjusting shifts and duties, but that clearly more needs to be done in what some describe as a crisis. In Vallejo, Amber Lee, KTVU, Fox 2 News. I just yes. wonder, like, w during the staffing shortage, so there's going to be some some problem figuring this out maybe but is crime going up or down <laughs> like i mean it'd be interesting to see the effects right like that's i mean for city vallejo size 100 and some odd cops you know budgeted i mean they're at half of what they're budgeted for right like other cities like san jose says oh we're short police but really they're at you know they're at about 70%, maybe 75% of where they should be, right? This is like half. <laughs> um, and even less than that, like on call on a regular basis. So it, it it would seem like they're in dire straits. But as we've talked about before, and you've talked about at length, you know, it's, it's also about the community and the neighborhood and the, and the, you know, the people there, um, you know, are as much as how many cops there are in terms of creating safe, uh, safe neighborhoods, right. And creating a safe space, right. It's more, it's, it's just as much about the people in the space as it is the police or whoever you have there to quote unquote, protect and serve the space, right. Or the people. Um, so it, I think it'd be great to see the numbers when they're operating in pretty much 50% capacity. Um, uh, cause Vallejo's not, you know, it's not a small podunk town. There's, there's crimes, there's, city stuff going on there. So, um, yeah, it, I, I would like to see the numbers, but well, but as, they're, 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 they're saying it's a state of emergency. So as we've been doing, we'll be keeping an eye on this. We absolutely will. Um, but yeah, apparently if you want to do crimes, I guess go to Vallejo. I mean, don't hurt anybody, but yeah, we're, we're, don't do crimes. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you want to run your car into a seven 11, we'll get to that later. That's that's later. That's later. Don't do that in Vallejo. They got enough problems there. No, don't please. Do that in um, like a Los Gatos. It'll be fine. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, meanwhile, uh, in Oakland, there's some serious crimes happening. And uh, apparently CHP, as we just heard about, you know, they're being enlisted in the fentanyl crisis in San Francisco. Apparently they're going to be enlisted in Oakland to fight crimes. And Karen here is going to tell us all about it. I don't know if her name's Karen. Some people in Oakland are feeling like their calls for immediate help have been heard. We first broke this news yesterday that Governor Newsom is sending more CHP officers to help control crime in the city. But as Jose Martinez found out, not everybody is convinced that'll do much good. This is what Dana Olson has to do every night to keep her business safe. Hopefully it, it's just a deterrent um, to my windows getting smashed which I have to pay for, <laughs> and it's expensive. <laughs> um, and then, you know, getting the merchandise out, how's, you know, it's just, it's just harder, right? You're just trying to make it a little bit harder. She's one of many business owners in Oakland affected by the increasing crime rate. Her store, Good Neighbor, has been broken into twice. I think mm -hmm. that there is a general feeling of not if I will be burglarized again, but when. And uh, I think as a result of that, uh, I paid to have this security gate put in. Um, I've put in additional cameras um, and I'm continuing to do everything that I can to secure my business as best I can. 
So the announcement that more California Highway Patrol officers will be deployed in the city to fight against crime has raised some questions for her. In theory, it's a good idea. Obviously, um, people being more more presence is is helpful. However, I think what we've been trying to address is that we need uh, the police to be working within our communities. We want police officers who live in Oakland to work in Oakland uh, because we want to see uh, businesses, police, officials working together. The whole plan has divided the community. Some leaders, like Bishop Bob Jackson from the Axfold Gospel Church, say this is exactly what the city needs right now. What I hear from people from the community is that the community is not safe that it's not safe to live in Oakland anymore. That's the buzzword that's going around everywhere. People that can are trying to move out of Oakland. People that have bought into Oakland are now sorry that they paid all the money for these houses because public safety has to be number one. So I'm thankful now that the focus is beginning to swing on public safety. But others, like Kat Brooks, founder of the Anti-Police Terror Project, say this is a bad idea because it's not addressing the real issues out there. And what we said was that there was surely to be an economic pandemic that came on the heels of the coronavirus pandemic. That the housing insecure were gonna become homeless, the food insecure were gonna become starving, the job insecure were gonna become jobless. Bishop Jackson says he understands these issues, but public safety needs to be addressed immediately as an emergency. We pay big taxes in the city of Oakland. We pay more taxes than the five cities that's in Alameda County but it seems though we get the less service when it comes down to public safety. They got a lot of programs, they say, but when you got a 75-year-old woman living in the Oakland Hills, not in the flatlands, and have a home invasion right at her house two o'clock in the morning, and she's got to get her 357 Magnum and start shooting at people that's trying to kick her door down to rob her, rape her, kill her, you don't know what they were gonna do. And she's two doors over from city council person who lives two doors next to her. You know it's, crazy out of place it's out of it's just it's unbelievable ultimately dana says that was some really really good data he was dropping there really good data pay more attention to issues that conduct people to actually commit crimes what we need is a lot and it's going to take steps and time and energy and care and the state is also giving oakland a million dollar loan to install license plate readers no that doesn't oh, that nice. just invents crime a million dollars, my God. It's not what even you very, with a million. That's, that's, it's but, not, what you could do with a million dollars though is actually you know, pretty Yeah, it ain't amazing. shit, it's like three license plate readers, right? Yeah. Um, but because they have to be like maintained, sad. they have to have staff to like deal, you know yeah. what I mean? It's not just the yeah. cost of the license plate reader. So I'm not too worried about that, that ain't, that ain't shit. Yeah, no, but uh, it's, it's just sad that they're spending any money at all on that when they could be spending money on the people and doing things to help. Uh, Oh, folks. Ah, but yeah. Uh, well, speaking of that's, I'm glad that that clip referenced it. Um, the, the reference to the 75 year old woman who had to shoot someone up because they invaded her home. Um, we're going to find out more about that story from our friends at KTVU right now. And Julie, she kept calm and reacted strategically, even as these strangers burst into her bedroom demanding valuables. She grabbed her gun and fired a single shot only to come under fire herself. It's absolutely unbelievable. 
what she was able to do. A 75-year-old woman is being called a hero by neighbors for firing a shot at two home invaders. Those strangers fired back. Luckily, she wasn't hurt. I spoke to her daughter, who did not want her face shown. It's amazing. She is a superwoman. Um, we're all just lauding her and just amazed at her wherewithal. It happened on Ettrick Street in the Chabot Park neighborhood in the hills at about 2 in the morning Wednesday. Two men kicked through the woman's front door. They went straight for her bedroom, pointed guns at her face, and demanded her phone. What the intruders didn't know was that she owns a 357 Magnum. She had the presence of mind to reach in her nightstand and get a weapon. And she had it under the covers at first, and then when she saw an opening, she fired a shot. The men fired back, about 17 to 20 shots, before leaving with valuables, including jewelry. We went over afterwards, and we saw gunshots all on the walls. It's a miracle um, that she's alive after it, yeah. the number of shots that were fired in her home. Neighbors say she did the right thing. This woman is a hero. I can, I really admire uh, her. She kept her wits about her. Her daughter said this should serve as a warning. I believe that this is a message also for the criminals, that people in Oakland, we're tired of the lawlessness. People are standing up. People are fighting back. They're really, they're really playing with, the very, with, with their lives because all these people around here are armed. A similar home invasion happened recently in the same area. Now, Councilmember Reed, who was a family friend of the victim, tells me they've stepped up patrols in the neighborhood with police. Mike? I mean, good uh, on Granny, but they there were like, they said mm. the other two people fired almost 20 shots. 20 shots, yeah. So it's, ah, uh, uh, just, ah, uh, it makes my head want to just burst with gray matter just spilling everywhere. Folks, oh, I'm, you know, she defended herself. She didn't defend herself. She shot a gun at these guys who were just there to fucking rob her and, and not trying to hurt her, maybe. More than likely not trying to hurt her. And yeah, they shot back. What do you fucking know? They shot back, right? Like, you perpetuated it. You caused more violence. Like, that's what she did. She's not a hero. I mean, I'm glad she... I'm thankful that she miraculously she, it, it is a miracle she survived i'm thankful that she's alive but my goodness gracious she's not a hero that's all like that should not reckless. happen <laughs> that's reckless, reckless. It, it's entirely reckless right like i mean I, even me I'm, I'm just like yeah take my shit please get out of here like fine uh you know go like <laughs> get out of my shit don't don't hurt me um not like you know, bam, and and if you're gonna shoot, man, you better you better get you better you better strike, um, you know, you better take one of these motherfuckers out, otherwise, yeah, they're gonna yeah, blast like, you. Well, if they, in self defense courses, when they include talking about guns, they tell you no warning shots. They say you either yeah. you either shoot at direct at the center of mass of the person who you think is there to hurt you, or you don't pull your gun. And it sounds like, because they said she fired a shot and it almost seems like, it almost sounds like she tried to like scare them off by. Sure. Yeah. I could see like, you know, a grandma, you know, like, uh, 75. Remember this is grandma basically, um, you know, startled, right? Someone's breaking in. Oh shit. I'm gonna get my gun and just, you know, yeah, exactly. I'm going to like, like scaring a a wild animal, right? That's because that's what they think probably like, you know, oh, it's, it's a. Criminal, a wild animal. 
shoot the gun and they'll just scatter like cockroaches, right? So if and if she were to have, you know, if she were to have, you know, hit the one guy in like the chest or whatever, one of the people, the other, that might very well scare the shit out of the other person and they might run. But if, right. but otherwise right. you're not scaring nobody. They're, they're just, no. they, they see your no. gun and then they realize you're not down to shoot them. Yeah, or, or they're reacting just viscerally, like, right, oh, they see a gun, oh, I have a gun, shit, I'm gonna shoot the person that has a gun, and, you know, that uh, is my nemesis in this, my adversary in this situation, right? Granted, I've created this situation by breaking into their home, Yes, but that's, but that's the situation, right? Like, so they have a gun, oh, I have a gun, I'm gonna need to shoot some, I'm gonna need to shoot this mother, this person, right? Um, so that, uh, it, yeah, just, it's, there's so many sketchy things, but like, to hear these neighbors standing up and saying, oh, she's a fucking hero. It's really disappointing and sad because um, we should not be encouraging this behavior um, in 75-year-olds or 7-year-olds. Right. Like, yeah, because they left with valuables. I wonder if just as she likely didn't intend to shoot them, if they fired a bunch of shots and didn't intend to shoot her either. One would hope, right? Like, if, I mean, if they shot... 17 to 20 rounds and they didn't hit this 75 year old woman who was probably in bed right like, are they stormtroopers right like <laughs> absolutely absolutely uh maybe it's another girl yeah we're just, uh, I'm, just I'm just glad everybody's everybody in this scenario is still alive honestly like yeah. i hope they find the I, fucking people that broke in and i hope somebody i hope somebody with their head on straight sits granny down and goes listen you pull that gun, you better be wet. We better be willing to drop a fool. Otherwise, don't pull the gun. Correct. Correct. Um, anyway, um, so Granny, please don't shoot him. Granny's got a gun. Please don't shoot him. So uh, um, up next, we got uh, San Francisco firefighters uh, are warning about electric bikes and scooters uh, causing fires. I feel like I, I have a feeling this is going to be a weird story that I'm going to have mixed feelings about. Let's see how this goes. It's a, it's a rough segue. Sorry about that. That's all right. Tonight, a warning about e-bikes and e-scooters after a fire in San Francisco at an apartment. Investigators say a powerful lithium-ion battery is to blame, something that's happening more often. NBC Bay Area's Tom Jensen has what you need to know to be safe. A San Francisco fire official tells us this morning's fire probably could have been avoided, but they're not blaming the victims who barely escaped through a window. Firefighters were called to the scene in the 100 block of Hyde Street just before 8 this morning. The two victims who had to jump through a window to get out of their apartment were waiting for help when they arrived. One of them was severely burned. That person was taken to a local burn center in serious condition. The other person said the scooter was plugged in next to the only door in and out of the apartment. There could have been some better placement and some better safety precautions, but it's obvious that these two individuals had an escape plan and they had practiced that plan. San Francisco Fire Public Information Officer Lieutenant Jonathan Baxter says his department is seeing more of these fires as more people turn to e-scooters and e-bikes as a means of transportation and recreation. Bruce Santos got his e-bike on Amazon for about 1700 bucks after taxes a year ago because it got positive reviews and has known and trusted components like a Bafang motor and Samsung 48-volt lithium-ion battery. Oh, yeah, it's great because I could go across the bridge and back and not have break a sweat, you know, so it's, it's nice. So far, he says he's more than satisfied with his e-bike and hasn't noticed any issues with the lithium-ion battery getting too hot when it's charging. 
Yes, yeah, 750 watt motor, it's, um, and um, yeah, it's Samsung batteries, and it's, it's really good. This is an example of why it's important to research your products before you bring them home. Lieutenant Baxter says a few tips could help keep you safe if you have an e-bike or e-scooter or thinking about getting one. Never charge it near a door or in a hallway because if a fire does start, it could block your entrance or exit. And never leave a charging battery unattended. And he says only use charging devices approved by the manufacturer. <coughs> Lieutenant Baxter says fire investigators have not yet determined whether the victims were using an unapproved charging unit. In San Francisco, Tom Jensen, NBC, Bay Area News. That's interesting that they mentioned the charger because I tell people, people are like, oh, I need a new laptop battery or whatever. I'm like, you, you go buy the one with the, with the <laughs> Dell logo on it, all right? They're like, oh, this one's like a third of the price. I'm like, you please go buy the one with the Dell logo on it. Um, they're gonna use uh, they're gonna use good components because their reputation as a laptop manufacturer is on the line. Same with like a power adapter. I'm like, no, no, you buy the one with the HP or Dell or Lenovo logo on it because yeah, absolutely the off brand stuff is oftentimes like the the batteries aren't gonna last as long as the real ones, but they're also just more likely to be a, a hazardous and the chargers are more likely to create a lot of heat if they're not like if they're not built with good components like the uh, OEMs do. So that's all really mm. good advice. I am surprised that that was the advice. Um, I, I thought that they were going to, I thought that they were going to kind of fear monger about it, but they, Oh were, yeah. Not myself but, as well too. Uh, but they didn't. But, yeah. And I thought there might be more uh, evidence of, you know, or examples of people throwing their scooters into the lake, you know, in, in frustration um, with their fire making ways, right? People just like rioting and marching in the streets and dumping scooters and e-bikes into the lake. Um, you won't make any more fires. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, off brand, there's something off about them, right? Um, so be, and if you, safe, folks. another thing for like something like an e-bike, if you get into e like a, like a, like a crash or anything, even if you think it's minor, take that shit to the bike shop. Be like, Hey, I got in a crash on my electric bike. You want, can you take a look at it for me? I bet they'll take a look at it for you for free. Yeah. And there might be something you don't, you wouldn't notice that could lead to some really bad shit later. Like when you're sleeping and fire breaks out and you wake up and your house is on fire. Or, you know, careful. even scarier, but probably like less immediately dangerous is maybe it catches on fire while you're riding it. You're more likely to yeah. get away, right? Right. That'd be the most awful wedgie. Um, so, yeah, be safe um, and use this as a PSA from winners and losers. Don't be a loser. Be a winner. Be a... Uh, and be... Just don't don't cheap out on uh, batteries and battery chargers. It's... it's we, it's important. Yeah. I mean, and if you don't, if you do, you might end up setting a bunch of chocolate on fire. Segway. Yeah. Here we go. Here's a, here's what I believe to be a very short uh, news hit about a 40,000 pounds of chocolate that apparently uh, bought the wrong electric bike uh, charger. 30,000 pounds of chocolate caught fire this morning in Placer County. Cal Fire reports the fire happened on westbound I-80 in Colfax at oh. 4.30. They say the truck became separated from the trailer, causing all the chocolate to spill. It's not clear what sparked the fire that was quickly contained. No injuries were reported. Let's take a look. When I think of chocolate, I don't really think of flammable. Something. What the fuck caught the chocolate on fire? Right. Well, I was disappointed actually by this clip that we didn't actually get to see the chocolate on fire. Like I, I was hoping we would be able to see it, but um, you know, it is what it is. 
I, I don't know. I, it's not, it is not definitely not the most flammable thing. It's something like, you know, anything else it's got, a, it's a solid. And then if it gets hot, it turns into a liquid, but I don't know if it, I mean, it's got to burn at some point. It's got some sort of burn point. Um, so, but I don't know what happens to it. Most more likely it sizzles and pops and like, you know, dries out. I wonder if there was I something else, anything. like something flammable in the truck with, uh, with the chocolate. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that was what happened, like some sort of chemicals. Um, we uh, we could go into it. I think we'll go into it next week. There was something that happened in San Pablo uh, with some, some toxic waste and chemicals that were being stored in someone's house and those caught fire. So who knows? Anything's possible when it comes to the world of industrial chocolate fires. So we're going to move on to get your shit together. And I'm really glad you uh, put this on here. This is this. I've been following this on <laughs> the X website. It's been uh, like all over, like all the tech news that I've been, uh, you know, that I consumed during the week. And um, <clears throat> the flashing X sign was removed from the company's San Francisco headquarters. Um, there was this one guy who like, the, it was so bright that he like couldn't watch TV in his living room. And they like <laughs> interviewed him on a, on a, on a oh, I forgot, on the QAnon Anonymous podcast. They interviewed him. <laughs> <laughs> so obnoxious it's so so obnoxiously like bright and, and strobing and like oh my god it's so unnecessary and yet so elon musk right let's see let's see what nbc bay area has to say about it another day another chapter in the ongoing saga of the company formerly known as twitter now known as x that giant flashing x logo on top of the building that was annoying people over the weekend removed today <laughs> let's bring in our business tech reporter scott budman he's been tracking it okay oh, nice. not happy with a giant x flashing at me that's what people were saying yeah they were jessica and they had something to say and they had a good point by day it was a big letter mm -hmm. by night a big flashing <laughs> signal or beacon whatever it was <laughs> it didn't last long as today, that company went fiddling on the roof. Oh, ha, ha, ha. That was good. But uh, San Francisco was once again looking up. But this time, the giant X was not sitting atop what has long been Twitter headquarters. Elon Musk's company, now called X, removed the X. I mean, Elon's brand is chaos, and I think he's sowing chaos. And chaotic it was, flashing like a rooftop rave party. The level of brightness, especially across from a residential building, is just crazy. I don't think it really engenders any kind of um, affinity for the brand at all. It just sort of makes them a, the, the butt of a joke, and they kind of it's become a laughing stock. Becoming the latest thing to make San Francisco notorious at least to the Freihoff family. We are from Germany. Who made the X part of their tourist agenda. It's crazy, crazy. The big lights. But now, <laughs> X is down, and this building's got a blank slate. The whole thing was such a ridiculous stunt, and just putting this thing up, almost like a bat signal, you know, to his followers, is just <laughs> absurd. But maybe that is the point, creating this chaos, because now we don't even think about Twitter anymore. We're starting to realize it's called X because there's so much attention on the weirdness of the X. So maybe there's some madness here, you know, some strategy to this madness. Yeah. What happens next with the X? As with all madness and Elon Musk, we don't know. I reached out to X today mm -hmm. and they had no comment or guess on what comes next themselves they wouldn't say we don't know it's interesting because not only is the x not on the roof but the white sign that used to say twitter right 
has been painted over and is now all blank. And we waited a while to see if maybe the crew would come back to put something there. So there is literally no title on the building yet, except on one side, there's still a bird. Go figure that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Stay tuned. And it's a Tweety bird. So they didn't mention, too, that it was, like, not really secured well to the building. It was, like, held down by a bunch of sandbags and shit. Like, Yeah. And it's on there, like, it looks like some sort of weird outdoor patio deck thing. Right. Or... Yeah. They That used to be, like, when a lot of Twitter employees used to hang out, like, on the roof. Sure. Sure. Yeah. It seems, seems reasonable. Um, but, yeah, sunning themselves and whatnot. This is just silly season. I mean, <laughs> the, the rebrand, the whole damn thing is just absolute silly season. Ego, the whole nine yards, like the the, the American experience. It's, it is American exceptionalism. It is what it is, it, but it, it it's just so funny to watch. Um, it's unfortunate for the hundreds of millions of users of Twitter um, or X or whatever the fuck he wants to call it now. Um, you know, it, it really is unfortunate because... Yeah, it had turned into a, you know, some spaces in Twitter had turned into really dangerous and really nasty places, but the potential was always there for building greater community, and this is not really helping anything, right? And this, the, the rebrand and anything they're doing right now. And it just kind of sucks for the neighborhood around it, too, because, like, yeah. now, like, now I live across from this building where who the fuck knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Right, like what what signs or what you know billboards or what you know uh, is we should start projecting like porn on the side of the building tomorrow. Like what what is he going to do next to get a news headline? Right, it seems like everything this guy does is designed to get the clickbait to get the headline. He's just consumed with attention. He has like the most. He has the biggest pick me energy of of anyone in the world, probably. Right, like the other you know rich. CEOs like the Bezos, right? The the Benioffs of the world, right? Like uh, or the the Richard Bransons. What do they do, right? Like they buy Hawaiian islands, right? Like they, Richard Ellison, right? Like he he bought a freaking one of the eight Hawaiian islands. He owns that island, right? Uh, that's what they do, but they do it really quietly. You don't know that, right? You don't sound big spy, but he, this guy he wants to do everything and make sure everyone sees it. Because God forbid they don't, and he they, he doesn't get credit for whatever. Like you know, the man could be a just savant genius, right, and have some a couple, few good ideas, but he's just ruining all of that and all that goodwill and reputation by being just a dumbass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is at one point, like <clears throat> he, a lot of people were like, "Oh, this is the good rich guy" because he's trying to do the electric cars and trying to do the space stuff, and and then uh, the boring project and. Uh, well, that that shit was always stupid because he was trying to like say like, oh, public transit sucks. Here, drive a car, drive a car down this, uh, drive a car well, down this death trap. Well, now San Jose is pretty much doing that as the the Deeridon to SJC linkage, right? Right, but at least that's above <laughs> ground, and you're not going to die if it catches on fire. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> that's, a be- that's a nice benefit of that. I, I bet you they should include that in the in the executive summary. You will not die. Well, you may die if it catches fire, but like. In that tunnel, you know, we, we saw, we've seen those images of those tunnels he makes for the cars and it's like only wide enough for the car. So yeah, like likelihood of escape. Right. Right. How do you get out of there? Fire. Like if somebody's, yeah. if not even your car catches on fire, you're the car in front of you catches on fire. How do you make it so that your car isn't next? Oh, I don't know. There's probably like shafts climb out or something like every 50 yards. I don't know. I don't know. You have to, you have to buy the, you have to buy the Tesla jet pack to get out of there. 
Yeah, you need to buy. I mean, absolutely, you need to have the deluxe edition. I mean, that's that goes without saying, right? Um, you need the, the deluxe of everything, right? The executive membership. So start there, and you'll you'll probably be okay. They probably give you all the intel, right? So once you sign up. The working like uh, hypothesis among people who kind of know about Elon is what happened was he for a while like when he was dating Grimes or whatever he was trying to be popular with like the sort of New York and Los Angeles like celebrity crowd and uh they didn't like him they didn't think his jokes were funny and so <clears throat> he got mad and then decided to be friends with Cat Turd 2 and Andy No and shit because like you got to you got to be popular somewhere oh yeah absolutely i mean everyone has to wants to have a team right everyone wants to be either lead a team or be on a team um so that it's it's fundamental animal nature um so and he he is definitely a creature of nature a creature of just that fundamental human spirit unadulterated that's what happens when you become so rich that you do you absolutely don't i mean i, I think it gets it, it really doesn't have to be billions of dollars it just has to be the point where you don't have to we wake up you don't have to worry about anything and your kids don't have to worry about anything and your kids kids don't have to worry about anything or if you don't have kids you know no one you ever met in the in your life is ever going to worry about anything because you can handle it you can take care of it and it's handled by other people more than likely um that's rich right and he's obviously taken that and run with it and and just but, but he's bored with it right and he right. wants, and, he wants and, more attention in that scenario if all your material needs and all the material needs of people around you are being met that doesn't just turn it doesn't mean your fight or flight turns off you just it, your fight or flight thing gets triggered by other things things that the mm -hmm. rest of us are like what the fuck is wrong with you right right and and but and there's obvious i mean there's obviously some I, i'm not a psychologist and we shouldn't this down ballot is not a bastion of psychological you know fact but uh and, and, th and therapeutic fact but I will maybe armchair analyze. Dude's got some sort of, you know, daddy issues or issues in general, um, uh, you know, that go way back, right? He's got some trauma that goes way back. Um, it's clear. Uh, I don't want to dissect it. I really don't care to dissect it. He's got to figure it out for himself. But it is impacting the hundreds of millions of users of this platform um, and the, you know, the people who buy his products, right? The, the cars and everything else. Like, it impacts all of them. Um, the fact that he's got this issue, right? This sort of like tilting at windmills, Hamlet kind of, you know, uh, uh, something rotten in the state of Denmark kind of vibe going on. Um, so he needs to figure his shit out because it's now, it's it's hurting other people, right? I think he, I think <clears throat> based on sort of the way he's behaved even before buying Twitter, I think sort of one of the things maybe he likes about being rich is that he can use his power and influence to hurt other people. Yeah. It might be. It might be. Some people are. Uh, what is that again? You're sadist, right? That yeah. you or is yeah, masochist. You want to hurt yourself, right? Is that what that is? I forget. Let's, <laughs> let's move on to down ballot watch, where it's let's do that. definitely let's do that. more about uh, definitely stuff that is specifically about local government and local politics. What do we got up first here? Well, uh, shit. So as as predict projected, uh, there is a recall effort against the Alameda County DA. And we're going to learn today about uh, and hear from uh, one of the proponents of the recall, who's a former prosecutor, who in, in just eerie parallels to the San Francisco recall of Chesa Boudin, you know, she's very dis disappointed um, with with the way the direction of the office after she left the district attorney's office. And she she's concerned. Um, that's why she got involved in the recall. And we're going to learn more about her, her grief here. 
Alameda County District Attorney Pamela Price has been at the helm for seven months now, but her decision to place seven deputy DAs on leave her first week on the job is raising some concern about the impact on numerous criminal cases. Tonight, one of those prosecutors talks with me exclusively about what happened and why she thinks being taken off one of the most infamous Bay Area cold cases is political payback. This campaign was never about me or my place in history. This campaign was about bringing justice with compassion and making much needed changes. Change was the platform Pamela Price ran on. The status quo is not working. It's time to fight for reform. And racial equity, the mantra she brought into office. This office has a long history of overcriminalizing young people, overcriminalizing black and brown youth. My predecessor fought and campaigned against criminal justice reform. That reform came swiftly. Within days of taking office in January, Price placed career prosecutor Colleen McMahon on paid administrative leave. She handed me a letter and said that I am um, on administrative paid leave and that I need to empty out my office and I will be escorted out of the building. And what was the reason? The sum and substance of it is she learned through, I believe, her campaign Public Records Act request that I may have been involved in um, an independent expenditure committee campaign that produced some mailers. So this is something that happened five years ago? Yes. Six additional senior prosecutors were also placed on paid leave. Well, what were the nature of those mailers? And is that like against what you're supposed to be doing for your job? I may right. have been involved. Like, what? You're a, Some, you're a dis, you're, 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 you're an ADA. What are you doing? Also on allegations of campaign violations and others on allegations of prosecutorial misconduct. Never had five, six, seven people put on leave all like basically within a week. Matt Finnegan is the union attorney representing those deputy DAs. Finnegan maintains that the allegations don't rise to the level of paid leave. Usually it means that there's some kind of safety or very serious issue um, that would either warrant termination or like a major violation, like a conduct violation, like some kind of, you know, sexual harassment. McMahon acknowledges she campaigned against Price during Price's previous unsuccessful run against then DA Nancy O'Malley. I assisted with the campaign like many of my other co-workers did in 2018, um, precinct walking, you know, distributing uh, lawn signs. But she maintains yeah. she violated no campaign or county rules. Long-term incumbent Nancy O'Malley disqualified herself. Look at hat. Your hat. Three years after she lost the 2018 election, <clears throat> Price's political camp accused McMahon and other county DA staff of not playing by the rules. They hired a law firm in September of 2021 and filed a complaint with the Fair Political Practices Commission, which regulates campaign financing and conflicts of interest. The complaint alleged that deputy DAs and other employees working on O'Malley's campaign communicated with outside independent expenditure committees about raising funds to pay for anti-price ads. It pointed to an email of a thank you note template between McMahon and another prosecutor after the 2018 election. That same month, Price backers also filed a complaint with the Alameda County Civil Grand Jury, alleging the misuse of county staff email system. 
solicitation of funds, and the use of staff time for pro-O'Malley election activities, a violation of county policies and state rules. I, Pamela Y. Price. After she came into office in 2023, Price placed seven prosecutors on leave. Two outside law firms were hired to conduct the investigations. I was hoping that I could explain to her what actually occurred, that there were no campaign violations. To this day, I've never met her. This past May, after a 19-month probe, the FPPC closed its investigation, citing insufficient evidence that there was a violation. The grand jury report and the results of their investigation are very disturbing. But in June, the civil grand jury found staff failed to follow county policies with no consequences and that the office lacked clear guidelines and enforcement. Its recommendation? Better education and training. The grand jury report shows that for too long, this office has had a culture of complicity in misconduct. That's the culture we are determined to change. In a video posted to the DA's website, Price pointed to the report as confirmation for those changes. Yes, we are cleaning house. Despite multiple requests, Price declined to sit down with me to discuss her staffing changes and their impact on pending cases. Whatever policies she was going to enact and instruct her prosecutors to follow, I would have followed. Did it feel like retribution? Oh, without question. I mean, it screams of retribution. McMahon says the people most hurt are the families of the crime victims who've been counting on the seven prosecutors to bring them justice. This is Michaela when she was a baby. When Among them, Rodney Garrett. His nine-year-old daughter, Michaela, was abducted 34 years ago in Hayward. The cold case unsolved for decades, until investigators say re-examined palm prints from the 80s led them to a suspect already serving time for murder, David Mish. If anyone should be spending their life behind bars, it's David Mish. He is an absolute threat to public safety. A judge ruled there was enough evidence to try Mish for Michaela's murder when Price dropped special circumstance allegations against him. Aggravated forms of murder that, if convicted, would have meant life without the possibility of parole and placed McMahon on leave. Supporters of Price are going to say that you're disgruntled and that you didn't like her from the beginning. I was committed to seeing these cases through. Um, I'm not disgruntled. Um, I'm, I'm frustrated and upset with her placing <laughs> me in limbo. Um, the reason why I'm coming forward is for the victim's families. Now, McMahon has since resigned, as have two other prosecutors. Now, Price recently filed misdemeanor charges against one of those former deputy DAs, Butch Ford. She alleges he interfered with the prosecution of a police officer, a charge he denied in court. The other four prosecutors remain on paid leave. And as far as the Mish case goes, a new prosecutor regarded as highly experienced has been assigned to that case. It is unclear, though when that trial, when that case will go to trial. So I like, don't <sighs> like the idea that <clears throat> people who are working for the district attorney are uh, going around and knocking doors for the district attorney. It's not like it's their staff, right? Like, okay, if her political staff is doing that, that's fine. Yeah. But what the, what the fuck are the prosecutors doing that for? Right. Um, I mean, and, and again, you know, you want to volunteer and do something on your own time. That's up to you. It's, you know, you have, you have that right. Um, but it's not a good look necessarily, right? Um, it, it ha but it happens all the time. Like, that this absolutely happens constantly um, uh, for 
elected officials at all levels and all types of elected officials, um, their staff and their their team, as it were, um, you know, is asked to uh, get out there and 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 beat the bushes and hit the doors. They don't always do it. They're not obligated to. Um, but uh, in this case, you know, we've got we've got a true believer, right, who was supportive of the previous DA, and that's obviously where they're coming from. Like they they were supportive of the previous DA. They were a member of their sort of inner circle helped them out a lot and were, were, had tied their sort of um, political future to them as much as that impacts their professional life. And now they had to start over, right? And they've, um, they're seeing their colleagues and their friends who were supportive of the previous DA, you know, not get the, the love from the new administration. Surprise, surprise. Um, you know, but yeah, that, I mean, obviously the new DA has to be very careful and walk a thin line because she could get sued, uh, not just recalled over things like that. Um, if you, you know, sanction or censure or remove people from, from duties, right, for political retribution, if it can be proven. <laughs> um, so she should be careful, too. But yeah, th- th- again, it's just another Karen um, calling out something that, she, you know, that hurt her feelings and she didn't like. And so therefore, the whole system has to go. We'll see how this all shakes out now. I'm a resident of Alameda County, so I can vote against the, uh, the recall if it comes around. Nice. You'll get all the mailers and shit. Oh, this is going to be great, Bruce Dave. I think I can't wait. That this is such a benefit to have you having you there. So uh, we're, we're going to well, move on uh, down to San Jose, a place that I just left for uh, uh, a place that is um, a little bit greener and definitely ten degrees cooler. So <laughs> just a few, just a few stories about uh, what's what's happening down here in terms of trying to get along um, and 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 be along in our very diverse city. So uh, we've got some council members who feel like. They've been uh, attacked um, because of their their race and their heritage uh, by some of our, our local business advocates. So we're going to learn more about that from NBC. Barry. In a packed conference room full of labor and community leaders, two San Jose Council members made some serious accusations. These corporate interests chose to rely on racial stereotypes and dog whistles to a- accuse us and this movement of intimidation, bullying, and even inciting violence. Corporate interests and defenders of the status quo will not bully me or my community. I'm here to serve and represent my community, not corporate interests on our San Jose City Council. The councilmen, Omar Torres and Peter Ortiz, believe they are being targeted by business interests for pushing progressive causes like worker and renters' rights. They say it started with the unionization of workers at Premier Recycling. The two elected leaders say they did advocate for workers' rights there, but only as private citizens and advocates. They cite this article on the site, Opportunity Now Silicon Valley, where the councilmen are accused of using coercive and threatening tactics to force unionization, even using city letterhead. The article includes a picture of Councilman Ortiz with the bullhorn outside the recycling offices. Premier Recycling has not returned our messages for comment. And this protest for renters and homeless rights at the Santa Clara County Realtors Association back on June 7th is also at issue. The CEO says his staff was intimidated, assaulted, and threatened that day. He believes Councilman Ortiz had something to do with it. Neil Collins says he couldn't believe the councilman accused his group of responding inappropriately during today's news conference. It was shocking. Um, I saw him throw out our name. I saw him use terms like racism and, and bullying and trying to silence. We're not trying to silence anyone. The Realtors Association wrote this letter to the city after the protest, calling it an invasion of their offices where crimes were committed. The councilman considered that letter intimidating as well. 
We can have great discussions about both sides of the issues, and we should. But the councilmen say the realtor's letter and hate mail they've received since then will not intimidate them. Both men are penning a resolution this week. They say to protect their right to speak at protests and other events without fear of corporate retaliation. Damian Trujillo, NBC Bay Area News. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what's going on here. The <clears throat> the second one, he just they said, oh, well, he must have had something to do with it. Well, that's a pretty fucking weird thing to say. He must have had something to do with it. What do you got? What you got, man? <laughs> yeah, show, show me the receipts. Let me let me see, let me see what you got. He show, must show have had something work. to do. That's called a hunch. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's it's just more tit for tat. Unfortunately, that, that we're uh, we're at that point where the polarization has spread all the way down to the lowest levels of government, and yeah, it's just it's, it's endless back and forth. And uh, you know, you called me this. I called you that. And no one's really, again, spending the time addressing the problems that we're, we actually should be solving and aren't that hard to solve when it comes down to it at like the city and county level. These are pretty basic problems. And it's not about Democrat or Republican, it, but people are trying to make it about like them and everyone else's ideas, like their plan and everyone else's plan. You know, oh, I, you know, I have the best compromise plan, right? <laughs> so uh, me singular i'm going to put out my own memo with my compromise plans i have the best plan the best compromise plan that has just me on it um that's sort of where we're at right now and that and mayor ed 209 is the perfect shining example of that like he's got a fucking program for everything speaking of mayor ed 209 what's he been up to uh i don't know um i think right now he's really concerned about homeless encampments near our schools um and trying to you know put a put the kibosh on them even though just you know uh, Cliff's notes: Encampments are banned everywhere already. So just putting it out there. Anyway, security and safety concerns for his city students. San Jose Mayor Matt Mahan is moving ahead with a plan to ban encampments near schools. KTVU South Bay reporter Jesse Gary is live at City Hall with the story. Jesse. Greg, the mayor, a council member, a couple of high school students, even a principal, all sounding the alarm about the proximity of unhoused encampments to city schools. The group says this is a complex problem that needs to be solved from both ends of the spectrum. So we've got to create safe places, but people have to take advantage as well. We cannot have a free-for-all on our streets. Talking above a non-stop car alarm that seemed to target the proceedings, Thursday, San Jose Mayor Matt Mahan and it wasn't me. unveiling a plan to ban unhoused encampments within 150 feet of all public and private schools and daycares. As we strive to address a serious public safety concern there is again. affecting various schools within the city of San Jose. I have to ensure that I'm focusing on my surroundings at all times. To make High school senior Fernanda Morales Soto says an unhoused resident followed her home from school one day. The principal at Kip San Jose Collegiate High School says there's been a slew of incidents associated with the 13 RVs permanently parked just off school grounds. Including incidents of those unhoused residents making their way onto campus during the school day and break-ins captured on our security cameras. These incidents have cost our school tens of thousands of dollars. I think that this is just more criminalization of homelessness. They act as if unhoused people are just all criminals. Would you do that to any other minority group? You would not. The mayor says this isn't about casting blame on one group, but making sure all school children feel safe pursuing an education. There are a lot of places to park and camp that don't have to be right next to a school. 
and we've got to get. But you kicked him out of those places too. Yeah, you can't, you don't let them anywhere. <laughs> you don't allow these things anywhere. Their learning environment. Oh fuck you! You went to private school. Shut the fuck up. Work on drawing up the details of an ordinance. So present that to the rules committee of the city next Wednesday. If there is a green light, staff will have three months to actually draw up the audience, the ordinance before presenting it to the full city council. We're live outside San Jose City Hall, Jesse Gary, KTVU, Fox News. We'll head back to you. Strong reaction to that plan, Jesse. Thank you. Strong reaction to the plan. Thank you, Jesse. It's yeah. You were saying it's already these encampments, <clears throat> and it's I don't. I'm using their wording, right? The, this the where these people are parking their RVs or living. It's already illegal. Well, there's yeah. They, they, there's rules. There are rules. Uh, uh, transportation rules, rules of the roads, city rules, regulations, zoning that already f pretty much forbid you know encampments anywhere. Like people aren't allowed to. You're not allowed to pitch a tent on the street in the public right of way or in our creek beds or anywhere you know in public lands. You're just not allowed to do it. Um, that's the, the facts, right? So if someone pitches a tent or an encampment across the street from your school, um, or they've got their posse of friends with their RVs parked there where they're living right they're not their rvs but they're their homes too right they've got their homes parked there you know if you feel squishy about it yeah you can call code enforcement and in theory they're fully within their rights to come out and clear it but here's the thing code enforcement doesn't have time for all that shit right especially when we're talking about all the different communities that are going to be craving for this oh yes give me a no encampment zone in my neighborhood we need to protect my school right you end up with like hundreds of these little zones and not anywhere near enough people or no no new city staff no additional staff right to actually go out and you know and 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 help <laughs> when there is an issue right um when there is something going on so you're you're uh, you, when there is actually a legitimate problem, right? Even, but even just to just to fill, you know fulfill your need to get people out of your sight, right? If you just want it cleared, even then we don't have the resources. We just covered that there's too many there's vacancies up and down, and there's working overtime. No one has the time for all that. This is just to make people feel good. This is to make his vote donors feel good, to make voters feel good, to make the white people feel good, um, and make it feel like he's doing something to solve the problem from what they their perspective is that there's just too many homeless people on the street not because he feel people feel bad that folks are having to live on the street just that it sucks that they're living on the street in my neighborhood not to see it every day that's pretty much where where his supporters are at so he's pleasing them and that that's what it'll do it won't solve anything but it will at least give people give him a talking point with those folks and when it comes down to it i don't know if people really perceive the you know, the shifts in crime and the shifts in the greater scheme of things like we would talk about. So he might get away with it. But don't worry. <clears throat> Mayor Ed 209 actually thinks we just all need to get along. Let's take a look at his plan for us all to just start learning to get along with each other a little bit better. I bet it'll work. Or He's else. Got an app for it. <laughs> we talk a lot about it takes a village to raise kids. Well, this is the village that raised me. Um, I just I love this place. I come here every year for National Night Out. San Jose Police Deputy Chief Brian Schab grew up at this apartment complex off Checkers Drive in San Jose. Schab said National Night Out held the first Tuesday in August 
does strengthen bonds within the community. We got to go find the other neighborhoods that aren't organized yet, that aren't doing this, and really show them the benefit of getting together, getting to know your neighbors. San Jose Mayor Matt Mahan says this is a great event, but the goal is year-round. Mahan announced a new program called Together SJ. The city secured a million-dollar grant focused on building social connection and residential engagement. We are launching a new initiative to go out to our neighborhood no block parties, associations and invest in connecting neighbors to address the loneliness epidemic. City leaders say Together SJ is about residents taking an active role in the community. Having those events throughout the year to build community, connect people to city resources, and really empower our neighborhoods to take collective action themselves without simply sending in their tax dollars, outsourcing the problem and the solution to government, and then complaining when it doesn't get fixed. Captain Brian Spear says safety is a shared responsibility. Oh, Beyond just reducing crime, neighborhood watch programs have a transformative impact on our communities. Whether it's a neighborhood watch training or a potluck, it's about taking action together. Well, we just hear it out in our neighborhoods. People say, you know, we're not as engaged as we used to be. We've seen lower rates of volunteerism. We used to have more people on an annual basis come out and pick up litter every year, and the, the, even those numbers are down. This is Uni Schmidt. Well, that's because they could pay their bills, dude. First time volunteering at National Night Out. It was fun just seeing all the different age groups and the people interacting and just communicating with each other. It was fun. And I think we need more of that. The city is launching a Together SJ volunteer pilot program and are encouraging neighborhood leaders or associations to sign up and get involved. In San Jose, Lauren Martinez, ABC 7 News. So I, when I, what I said about the block parties, I'm not kidding. Like the, these <clears throat> these things that people used to do, they used to just be block parties and you didn't, wouldn't even get a permit. You just have a fucking block party. For sure. And they, they, um, they're happening a little more now. Actually, ironically enough, um, council member Dev Davis, uh, my, my council member here, uh, in San Jose, uh, she actually was, uh, front and center on that. She, uh, put forth a memo and got a policy passed to make block party permits free. Uh, you do have to apply still for the permit, but you can shut down your street and you don't have to pay for, you know, the, all the exorbitant public safety costs and whatever, you know, ancillary costs. The city just bears that. So um, you can actually do. So we actually have a block party here on the 4th of July, just a couple blocks down on our street um, that, that folks do. Uh, so we've we've participated in that. So um, good on them. Good on the city. But yeah, you're, but you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, why don't, why don't we encourage more of this and not make it so not criminalize people wanting to get together and hang out? Yep. So we got two things on and another thing, and we'll just do them lightning round uh, style here because, uh, you know, there's no real hard start time anymore for uh, conspiracy bingo. I don't have a guest coming in and uh, none of that stuff. My studio isn't even completely built yet. So whatever, whatever, no, I want, whatever. I want you to, yeah, I want you to get to that though. You know, someone might have bingo. They're really anxious. Well, they, somebody, if somebody busted out their bingo card for conspiracy bingo at the beginning of down ballot, they may already have a few few squares full of things. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. We, we do get dip a little bit into that space. Anyway, what do we got here for another thing? Uh, we got Taylor oh, Swift. Right, uh, a Tay -Tay. lot of people really don't like her, but her fans really do. And um, coming up, nothing but aces with her uh, Bay Area performance. Uh-oh, she went past the curfew. But other, yeah. other than that, she fucking, she came in here and she dropped a bunch of money on, on a, a food bank. She and then, killed it. And then because she did that, I bet a bunch of her fans probably who don't even live here drop money on that food bank. Let's hear mm -hmm. about it from ABC7. 
Here on the 530 Show, we're going to try to lighten the mood with some positive news. And this one has to do with the one and only Taylor Swift, who was in Santa Clara last weekend for two performances. But now she's in the spotlight for supporting a local nonprofit. Second Harvest thanked the singer on their social media pages for her generosity and for using her platform for good. The food bank says this will help their efforts to nourish an average of about 500,000 people every month in Santa Clara and San Mateo counties. And if that's not generous enough, Swift reportedly gave $100,000 bonuses to her tour truck drivers. Hell yeah. Nice. Yeah, that she's $50 million. She gave $50 million in bonuses to her entire crew from this this tour, um, which is freaking fabulous. I mean, yeah, that she... She's she can afford it. She's making money hand over fist. There were people paying like fifteen thousand dollars for a, a resale ticket for this, one of those shows, but even the face value of the cheapest ticket was like eight hundred dollars for that show. So she's making good money. So I'm I'm really glad to see that she she supports her crew because they work their butts off on these shows. Um, they are the show. Uh, for anyone who's been to some of these big shows, um, yeah. So good, so good on her and good on her for donating to Second Harvest. You should all do that. You should all find a good nonprofit in your community doing good things, um, helping kids who don't read good, read gooder, um, and donate and, and give and volunteer. If you don't have money, go and volunteer. Go and uh, feed some folks in a, uh, a kitchen. Um, you know, get out and uh, clothe people, house people, do what you can, please. And I like how this this story got moved down into the end. Another thing, and so it's sort of like when we uh, when we put people like oh, like once somebody has. <clears throat> Once a certain kind of story becomes kind of played out enough on the Sunday show, it's like, well, this, like, for example, Mike Pillow, right? Only in yeah. red light now. He's been banned from right. the regular show. <laughs> and I like how you, and I think that we're going to set this as policy now. Car versus building is now in and another, another thing, thing after a cute story about a koala bear or something. That that works, yeah. So koala bears and, and cars versus buildings. So anyway, we've got a, a one in our series of ongoing series of vehicle versus uh, struct, human made structure. <laughs> so we're going to find out more what would have happened. New overnight, police investigating after someone drove a car into a 7-Eleven store in Oakland. This is the video that came in just around 4 o'clock this morning. You see the Hyundai sedan rammed into the store on 23rd Avenue. Some things from the store were scattered outside in the parking lot, including a box of cigarettes and a Mac desktop computer. <laughs> Damn. Officers say they are treating this like a burglary. I'm going to give that one to Carr, honestly. That looked like that Hyundai didn't take that much damage. Right, and it, it knocked that computer all the way out into the parking lot. Yeah, usually it's For the building sure. that wins, but it's a, this time I, we're going to have to give it to that car. Everybody, that, find out what kind of car that is. It looks like, a, it, looks like it, it takes a licking. I don't know if it kept on ticking, but it sure took, it sure took out that 7-Eleven. And I suppose we should come up with some sort of standards for this segment, like, you know, about determining who wins, right? Is it monetary, like, damages? Is it, you know, just uh, visual? We're just, we're just looking at it saying, like, yeah, looking at vibes. Okay, vibes. We'll just go on that vibes. <laughs> that, that's, pretty, that's pretty much what we go on and down ballot anyway, in general, right? It's, it's, it's a, a vibe kind of show. Yeah, it's, it's a vibey network. So, um, well, thank you again for a wonderful evening, Producer Dave. I, I really enjoyed myself, as always. And oh. I hope listener and watcher did, too. As, as you normally do, you want to read us out? Oh, for sure. Why not? Well, um, thank you, uh, listener and viewer, as always. And thank you to the chat. Thank you to everyone who subscribes and, and gives us uh, some show bucks so that we uh, one day can live our dream of doing this for uh, for a living. 
and uh, we want you to stay tuned for uh, Conspiracy Bingo. Stay tuned for all of our weekend shows, Catterday, The Big Sunday Show. Um, and remember, it's really important that you get vaccinated, that you don't cough on other people, that you wear a mask when appropriate. But if you want to wear pants, it's totally optional. Okay. Um, this is Audible Smoke, and we hope you have a great night. Peace out. Driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage waiting for MTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing Queen to get the fuck up on stage and rock the scene Yeah, we do what we want what we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want. What we wanna do? And what we want is to jam, so sit back and enjoy the band. Enjoy that band. I turn and head back to the bar for a refill, man, because you know where we are. We're headed out to the car to smoke another one. And another one Now just when the magic starts kicking in I hear we left playing You know it's time to head in Alright everybody now it's time to grab a new drink Spark it if you got it and then pass it to me yeah. We do what we want And what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band We do what we want What we wanna do and what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band Enjoy that band Last up on the bill for the show tonight It's down and dirty in five so we're headed outside To spark up another joint now who's got my lighter Stoner E of course shouldn't you be inside I'm all up in this bitch being who I gotta be I'm fucked up like the US economy The truth is is that I don't Logically, stone to E, take you on a psychedelic odyssey. Now inside, motherfuckers is rocking me, and outside, shit, we smoke a lot of broccoli. Rocking the rolly, all the sexy girl be jocking me. Ain't too drunk to fuck, but don't probably do it sloppily. We do what we want, what we wanna do, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. So sit back and enjoy the band
we wanna do, what we want is to jam So sit back and enjoy the band If you like what we're doing at Echoplex and aren't into Twitch, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Echoplex. For $5, you can get every show from beginning to end sent to you as an MP3, even the stuff we bleep out because it's too spicy for Twitch. Echoplex would not be where we are today if it wasn't for the community support we receive. Find out all the ways you can support the show at echoplexmedia.com slash support.